foundation of our worship because it's releasing what is nearest and dearest to our heart. And the two things that are the nearest and dearest to our heart, especially in an American culture, is time and money. Those two things, and God wants them both because it all originates from him. If you have time, if you're able to sit up and take nourishment and breathe, you have time on your hands. I didn't say you had an abundance of time on your hands, but you have time. And if you have time, you have just as much as everyone else, and it is not yours. It's God's. The same is true with money. It's not a matter of, well, God gets part of it and I get the other part. Uh Uh-uh. It's all his. There's not a bit of it that originates with you. Well, I worked really hard for that. Well, where'd you get the hands to do the work? Well, I, I thought of this idea. Where'd you get the brain? There is not a penny or a second of time that doesn't originate with God's. It's all his. He gives it to us to be stewards of. And we sometimes feel like we don't have much. Well, I don't have a lot of extra. And I agree, and I understand. Sometimes we get so laid down with debt because we've bought into an American culture that says we need to have, 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 or we need to charge, charge, charge. We're coming into that time of the year, right? Anybody already started their Christmas shopping? Shame on you. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Because I don't think like that. (laughs) Christmas Eve. Woohoo! We still got time. Um... And all the men said, amen. All right. <laughs> just, just checking. But sometimes we don't think that we have a lot of either. We don't think we have a lot of time, and we don't think we have a lot of money. And folks, trust me. The poorest person in America that's living off of welfare is in the top 5% of wealthy people in the world. Did you hear what I just said? We, we're stinking rich. There are many, many people in this world that would call us filthy, stinking rich. The kind of awe that we look at Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and those guys and go, man, how in the world? There are people in the world that will look at you in the same light. So we have a lot. And in addition to that, we have our freedom and we have time. You see, the majority of us don't have to spend time trying to figure out what we're gonna eat, what we're gonna wear, and where we're gonna live for shelter. We don't even have to think about that. Most of us today, you know exactly where you're gonna spend your afternoon. You know you got a home to go to, you know that tonight you're gonna have a warm bed to sleep in, and you're not gonna have to worry about what you eat. May not be exactly what you like, but even if you can scrape together enough for some top ramen and and for some 25 cents a box macaroni and cheese, you're doing better than most of the rest of the world. That's the truth. We're so rich, and in addition to all of that, we have Jesus. And I've been to some of the poorest places in the world, and I've seen people with so much more joy, so much more peace, so much more happiness than people here. Because they don't have so much junk they have to worry about. 
So if we give what we have, we get to see what God can do. If we only give what we can afford or have time for, we get to see what we can do. Did you hear what I said? If we give the way that God would have us to give, we get to see what he can do. If we give with what we have and what we know we can afford and with what we can afford financially, with what we know we can afford time-wise, we get to see what we can do. And I don't know about you, I'd rather see what God can do than what I can do because what I can do is not much. And ultimately, what you can do is not much. But when we, as a body of believers, give sacrificially, wow, we get to see what God can do. So, what are you talking about when it comes to generosity and giving? I want to read for you this morning. It's actually the first chapter out of a book but it's one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard of generosity, and it has nothing to do with money. It has to do with giving. It's from a book called Love Does. Has anybody read Love Does? I would highly recommend this book. I'm going to read the first chapter for you. It's written by a man named Bob Goff. Um, this author does something at the end of his book that I've never seen an author do ever. In the epilogue, at the very end of the book, he gives you his personal cell phone number. And it's really real because I've talked to friends who have actually called him and he has called them back <clears throat> and talked to them. Amazing Christian man. If I could, I would love to bring him to our church to share. But I want to read you, this is the very first chapter out of the book. <clears throat> and I want you to listen to this story. I used to want to fix people, but now I just want to be with them. When I was in high school, I met a guy named Randy. Randy had three things I didn't have. A Triumph motorcycle, a beard, and a girlfriend. It just, it just didn't seem fair. I wanted all three in ascending order. I asked around and found out Randy didn't even go to the high school. He just hung out there. I'd heard about guys like that, and I figured I should keep my distance, so I did. Later, I heard that Randy was a Christian and worked with an outfit called Young Life. I didn't know much about any of that stuff, but it helped explain the beard, and it made it okay that he was hanging out at the high school, I guess. Randy never offered me a ride on his motorcycle, and he tried, but he tried to engage me in discussions about Jesus. I kept him at arm's length, but that didn't seem to chill his interest in finding out who I was and what I was about. I figured maybe he didn't know anyone his own age, so we eventually became friends. I was a lousy student and found out I could take a test to get a certificate that was the equivalent to a high school diploma. I couldn't figure out how to sign up for the test, though, which was on reflection, was a pretty good indicator that I should stay in high school. <laughs> my plan was to move to Yosemite and spend my days climbing the massive granite cliffs. At six feet, four inches, and 220 pounds, I didn't really have a rock climber's build. I wonder what made me think that there was a rock climber in me. When you're in high school, you don't give much thought to that, to what you can't do. For most people, that gets learned later. And for still fewer, it gets unlearned for the rest of life. At the beginning of my junior year, I decided it was time to leave high school and make the move to Yosemite. 
I had a down vest, two red bandanas, a pair of rock climbing shoes, $75 and a VW bug. What else did I need? I'd find work in the valley and spend my off time in the mountains. More out of curiosity than anything, I swung by Randy's house first thing on a Sunday morning to say goodbye and to let him know I was leaving. I knocked on the door and after a long couple of minutes, Randy answered. He was groggy and bedheaded. I had obviously woken him. I gave him the rundown on what I was doing. All the while, Randy stood patiently in the doorway, trying his best to suppress a puzzled expression. You're leaving soon, he asked when I had finished. Yeah, right now, actually, I said as I straightened my back and barreled my chest to show I meant business. Look, Randy, it's time for me to get out of here. I just came by to thank you for hanging out with me and for being a great friend. Randy kept his earnest and concerned face, but he didn't say a word. Oh, hey, I inserted, will you tell your girlfriend goodbye for me too? You know, when you see her next? Again, no words from Randy. He had this weird faraway look on his face like he was looking right through me. He snapped back into our conversation. Hey, Bob, would you wait here for a second while I check something out? No sweat, Randy. I had nothing but time now. What did I care? Randy disappeared for a few minutes into the house while I stood awkwardly on his porch with my hands in my pockets. When he came back to the door, he had a tattered backpack hanging over his shoulder by one frayed strap and a sleeping bag under his other arm. He was focused and direct. All he said was this, Bob, I'm with you. Something in his words rang right through me. He didn't lecture me about how I was blowing it and throwing away opportunities by leaving high school. He didn't tell me I was a fool and that my idea would fall off the tracks on the way to the launch pad. He didn't tell me I would surely crater even if I did briefly lift off. He was resolute, unequivocal, and had no agenda. He was with me. Despite the kind gesture, it was pretty odd to think he wanted to come along. Um, sure, I guess, I said half-heartedly. You sure? Yeah, Bob, I'm in. If you wouldn't mind, what if I caught a ride with you? Randy stood with a determined look. So let me get this straight. You want to drive to Yosemite with me right now? Yep, that's right. I can find my way back after we get there and you get settled in. I'm not sure why I accepted Randy's generous self-invitation. I guess it's because it caught me totally off guard. No one had ever expressed an interest in me like that before. Sure, I stammered as we both stood awkwardly on his stoop. I uh, guess we should get going then. And with that, Randy closed the door to his little house and we walked side by side to my VW bug. He plopped into the passenger seat and threw his stuff on top of mine on the back seat. We got to Yosemite before nightfall and it occurred to me for the first time that we had no place to stay. We had a couple of sleeping bags, no tent, and very little money, so we snuck in through the back of a platform tent set up at one of the pay-per-night campsites. We slept towards the back so we could make our escape if an upstanding tent renter showed up for the night. Fortunately, no one came, and the next morning we woke up to a chilly but glorious morning in Yosemite Valley. To the north of us, El Capitan soared 3,000 feet straight up like a huge granite soldier. Half Dome dominated the landscape to the east. These were my companions. This was my cathedral. I was in the valley-wide living room of my new home. Now it was time to get a job and settled in. I rolled over in my sleeping bag, thinking about how great it was to have Randy with me. I was a little nervous, but also excited about my newfound freedom. I was a man now. I felt for my chin for any sign of whiskers. <laughs> Nothing yet, but I shaved anyway, just in case. 
Randy and I dusted off the stiffness that comes from tent camping and went to the Camp Curry cafeteria, company cafeteria. I thought I could get a job flipping pancakes in the morning, which would leave the rest of the day to climb. I finished the job application in front of the manager, handed it to him, and he gave it right back, sternly shaking his head no. He didn't even pretend to be interested, but I was secretly thankful that he had at least humored me enough to let me apply. No matter, undaunted, I went to one of the rock climbing outfitters with a storefront in the valley. I told them I'd do whatever they needed. I was sure that what I lacked in experience I could make up for by, by what I lacked in maturity or raw intelligence. They said that they didn't have any work for me either and that jobs were tight and almost impossible to get in the valley. I walked out of the store discouraged and looked at Randy, who was leaning against the VW. Rather than feeding my discouragement or saying I told you so, Randy fed my soul with words of truth and perspective. Bob, you can do this thing if you want. You have the stuff it takes to pull it off. These guys don't know what they're missing. Let's try a few more places. And then, just like he had said the day before on his porch, Randy reiterated his statement, either way, Bob, I'm with you. His words gave me tremendous comfort. I applied at nearly every business in the valley and struck out every time. There were simply no jobs available and no hope of one opening up soon. The evening approached as the sun sank low in the hills. It was one of those sunsets displaying the kind of vibrant colors that would have made a painter's canvas look overambitious. But I was still heartened. This sunset was real. I was in Yosemite. My friend was with me, and I still had a shot at my dream. Randy and I headed back to the campsite and snuck into the same tent we had commandeered the night before. I didn't sleep well or long as I sorted through my very short list of options. There was no work. I had no money. I was a high school dropout. Randy snored, and I had to go to the bathroom. That about covered my list of problem problems from least to greatest. The next morning came with a Christmas that only fueled my anxiety. Randy stood next to me in his sleeping bag, gave a couple of phlegm-filled coughs, and said in a much too cheery voice, let's go climb some rocks. We headed to the foot of one of the monolith cliffs and bouldered for a couple of hours, talking trash to each other about who was the better climber. By midday, we headed back to the valley to see if any businesses had miraculously decided to expand their operations overnight. It felt like the shop owners had quietly met somewhere when they learned that I was arriving in the valley and were conspiring against me to dash my dreams. The same rocks I had come to climb were now beginning to look like barricades. I applied at the remaining storefronts that I hadn't tried the day before. Do I even need to waste my breath to tell you what happened? Randy and I sat on the front bumper of my VW Bug and leaned back against its flimsy and slightly rusted hood that buckled slightly under our weight. The sun was getting low in the valley again, and the granite cliffs I'd hoped to count as neighbors were casting long, dark shadows on the ground, each of the deepening shadows pointing towards the road exiting the valley. I had only a few bucks left after buying gas, and Randy offered to spring for dinner. As we walked back out to the car after eating, I turned to Randy and said, you know, Randy, you've been great coming with me and everything, but it looks like I'm striking out. I think I'll do what I'll do is head back and finish up high school. After a short pause, Randy said again what had become a comfort to me throughout the trip. Man, whatever you decide, you just know that either way, I'm with you, Bob. Randy had been with me, and I could tell that he was with me in spirit as much as his presence. He was committed to me and believed in me. I wasn't a project. I was his friend. I wondered if maybe all Christians operated this way, 
I didn't think so because most of them I had met up until that time were kind of wimpy and seemed to have more opinions about what or who they were against than who they were for. Without much more discussion, Randy and I exchanged a silent look and a nod, which meant we were done. Without a spoken word, I hopped in the driver's seat of the car. Randy hopped in the passenger seat, and we followed the path cast from the long shadows the day before. I was going back. We didn't talk much as we left Yosemite Valley, or for much on the way home, for that matter. A dream of mine had just checked into hospice, and Randy was sensitive enough to know that I needed some time to think. We drove for five or six quiet hours. Every once in a while, Randy would check in on me with his confident and upbeat voice. Hey, how you doing, Bob? We pulled down some familiar streets and into Randy's driveway. There was another car in the drive next to Randy's that looked like his girlfriend's. She visited it often. We walked up to the front door, and he opened it. <clears throat> I walked in behind Randy, uninvited, but somehow I felt welcome. On the floor, I noticed a stack of plates and some wrapping paper, a coffee maker, some glasses. On the couch, there was a microwave half in a box. I didn't understand at first. Had Randy just had a birthday? Was it his girlfriend's? A microwave seemed like a weird way to celebrate someone's arrival into the world. I knew Randy wasn't moving because there wouldn't be wrapping paper. Then from around the corner, the other half of this couple bounded out and threw her arms around Randy. Welcome home, honey. Then the nickel dropped. I felt both sick and choked up in an instant. I realized that these were wedding presents on the floor. Randy and his girlfriend had just gotten married. When I knocked on Randy's door on that Sunday morning, he didn't see just a high school kid who had disrupted the beginnings of his marriage. He saw a kid who was about to jump off the tracks. Instead of spending the early days of his marriage with his bride, he spent it with me, sneaking into the back of a tent. Why? It was because Randy loved me. He saw the need and he did something about it. He didn't just say he was for me or with me. He was actually present with me. When I learned from Rand, what I learned from Randy changed my view permanently about what it meant to have a friendship with Jesus. I learned that faith isn't about knowing all of the right stuff or obeying a list of rules. It's something more, something more costly because it involves being present and making a sacrifice. Perhaps that's why Jesus is sometimes called Emmanuel, God with us. I think that's what God had in mind, for Jesus to be present, to just be with us. It's also what he has in mind for us when it comes to other people. The world can make you think that love can be picked up at a garage sale or enclosed in, an, in a Hallmark card. But the kind of love that God created and demonstrated is a costly one because it involves sacrifice and presence. It's a love that operates more like a sign language than being spoken outright. What I learned from Randy about the brand of love Jesus offers is that it's more about presence than undertaking a project. It's a brand of love that doesn't just think about good things or agree with them or talk about them. What I learned from Randy reinforced the simple truth that continues to weave itself into the tapestry of every great story. Love does. That is an incredible story of sacrifice. You see, Saturday was 
Randy's wedding. And Sunday morning, Bob came to the door. And instead of staying with his brand new bride, he left and went and spent three days with Randy in Yosemite to help save a kid's life. That's sacrifice. It isn't always about money. Sometimes it is. But how many of us are willing to make that kind of sacrifice? A sacrifice that really is going to cost you something. It cost him the honeymoon. How many of us would be willing to lay that down? And folks, we live in a community that doesn't know Jesus for the most part. And it is going to take not a church, because the church is made up of people. It is going to take people who are willing to live sacrificially. Both of their time and their funds and their talent. It's going to require sacrifice. So what is it that God's talking to you about? Maybe there's something that you know you're supposed to do. Maybe you've never ever even thought about the idea of giving at all. And maybe God's tapping you on the shoulder. Maybe you give financially, but you don't really give much time here at the church. Or you don't spend much time in service. Maybe the Lord's tapping you on the shoulder and said, hey, it's time for you to give. And we don't give our money to the church, and we don't give our time to the church. We give it to him. The church happens to be his plan for sharing the gospel. And we are a part of that. So what is it that God may be asking of you? Next week, we're going to talk more about this. I'd like to ask Chris and the worship team to come, if they would. And as we sing this morning, the name of the song is Surrender. What is it that you feel like the Lord's asking you to do? And it's, it's between you and him. I don't want you to think about what somebody else is doing or what somebody else isn't doing. Don't ever compare yourself to what another person does or doesn't do. Because that's not what's important. What's important is what God's asking you to do. So what is it that he's talking to you about this morning?